Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? All right. I'm glad you guys survived Snowmageddon episode one this week. It is good to have you guys here. Uh, we're in a series called Back to Your Future. And what I always say here is that you cannot change your past. And many of us say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know uh, my story. But what we want to help you do is this, is to change your future. And I believe that the best is yet to come. This series is to help each one of us with a question each week to figure out how do I make great decisions now so I can have a better future. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 37, verse 18 this morning. That's Genesis 37, verse 18. Uh, My dad was the king of stories. And as a young man, I remember growing up, and you have to just pardon me for a second because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, my dad had Seagram's stories. And some of you know what Seagram's stories are, some of you don't. But as he sat at the bar at the house, um, and his friends were there, as I'd play my video games in my room right next to the kitchen, I'd always hear a new story from dad. And he was a very, like, you know, strong businessman and very focused when he was at work. But when his friends came over and he had Seagram's stories going, man, they were hilarious. And I'll never forget one night I came home, uh, you know, and I was staying with my parents for about three months before we ended up moving to Florida. My wife was already in school down there. And I came home, and Dad was at the bar, and he was frustrated. I could tell. And as I went and got something, you know, to to, to drink, a diet Mountain Dew is what I drank back then. Uh, Don't look at me like that. He he said, sit down for a second. I want to tell you something. And he was as serious as he could be. That morning, we worked, you know, we worked for a concrete company. My dad, you know, helped uh, grow this company, and my whole life I grew up at a concrete company. They had this early morning pour at 3 a.m., and we had two concrete truck drivers that were supposed to be ready and rotate and get this thing done, and my dad was frustrated because one of the drivers did not show up to two hours behind when he was supposed to. Like, he was two hours late. My dad's sitting there. He says, this morning, he said, that concrete pour was all screwed up. Dwight slept, overslept two hours. I was like, man, I'm sorry. And he was serious as he could be. He said, you know what I told him? I said, what, Dad? And you, I, I, you can't laugh when, like, again, you know? He said, I asked him a question. I said, how did the Indians get up and go hunting to get food so their family didn't starve in the mornings, Dwight? They didn't have alarm clocks. Do you think they ever slept? He said, no. He said, they drink a gallon of water at night. So they get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go hunting. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh. D- don't fact check that. That's probably not true. But in his mind, he had just probably thought that's what the Indians did. They just drank a gallon of water and got up. And he said, I told Dwight, stop relying on an alarm clock and start drinking a gallon of water so you can get up and be at work on time. That's what my dad, and I'm going to tell you, man, I told that story at his funeral because a lot of his colleagues were there. Of course, Dwight wasn't there, but, but a lot of the, the, the men who worked with him, and they came back and said, man, I, when I heard that story, I couldn't laugh, but I did. We, and we all laughed behind his back about it. He was just dead serious. And my dad was a, just an extreme storyteller. I, I, you know, I would sit around, and he would just have the whole room captivated with the stories of his past. And I'd learn something new every time when I'd be his DD and we'd go to NC State football games. And there's something about a story. Now, there are many stories we laugh at, we find funny, but the sad thing about life is there's some stories that are ironic and some that are sad. And there's some stories that we hear that happen that break our heart. And what I want to do today is talk to you about the story. I want to talk to you about this legacy question and how do we form a legacy and have a story worth telling one day. And the passage we're looking at today is a very familiar passage. You've probably heard this 
preached seven ways to Sunday, but it's a story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Now, Joseph had, had many brothers. He was the youngest of them, and his dad loved him. He was like his favorite. And he, he got this really cool coat made of many colors, and he shows up, and his brothers see it, and they didn't get one, and they're extremely jealous of their brother. And they don't like him because he's always getting favoritism as the baby boy. And then one day Joseph shows up, and he tells him about a dream he had. He said, man, I had this dream. And he's young, and he's naive. He's around 16, 17 years old at this point. He shows up and tells him, I had this dream that all the she's just started bowing down, and it was you guys bowing to me. They're like, say what? We're bowing to you? Bro, you're a little brother. Like, luckily, we don't kick your tail right here. And then he comes back a few days later. He says, then I had this other dream. It's the same thing. And you guys, and I'm the, and, and they are so angry at him because they took it as, you know, personally that he thought he was better than they were. And all the resentment and all the anger built up. As you look at Genesis 37, you're going to see what happens here. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming and they recognized him in the distance, as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. That's a dry well. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, and man, thank God for the Reubens in our life, right? But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern uh, here uh, in the wilderness. Then he will die without our laying a hand on him. And Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. Don't miss this. This is so important. It says, when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. And then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. So they so then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels coming in the distance toward them. It was a group of Israelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. And what they did was, they then devised the plan, here's what we can do. We can sell our brother to them. We can get some money. We'll get that coat. We'll tear it up. We'll put some goat blood on it, and we'll tell Dad that an animal ate him He's safe. He'll be alive. We get him out of our hair, and we're good to go. Now, what happens here, I want you to see what's happening here. We are reading a story right now, right? An historical account. Like, we're looking back, and we're reading this story. And there are two narratives that we're going to follow today. There's two stories that are being told today. And, and what happens during this is that each one of these guys decides a story that they want to tell, and they want to be told about them. They decide the narrative that's happening. We look at this first part of this narrative, and we shake our heads in disgust that his brothers could do that to him. But Reuben does something in this moment that we all have to do. He starts thinking about the type of story that he wants to tell. He starts thinking about what are the ramifications? He starts going, and then he devises a plan, and he's trying to take that into action. And then what happens to Joseph is he is sent, shackled, hand and foot to Egypt. He doesn't know their language. He doesn't know their custom. And he goes away to a foreign country, and they think they will never see him again. 
And the question today to deal with our legacy, because one day there's going to be a story told about us. One day you're going to make a preacher lie about you at your funeral. That's what preachers have to do is come up with a bunch of exaggerations about people. <laughs> you see y'all laughing, you know it's true, right? Because the real story happens after the funeral when they're eating potato salad and they're eating fried chicken, they're sitting around uh, you know, and they're talking about you. But what we have to do is this. Before those decisions happen in our life, before the tough conversations have to happen, before we're tempted to do something stupid, we have to ask this question. I want you to write this down. What story do I want to tell? What story do I want to tell? And that's, that's the question that will help you with two things. It will help you with integrity, and it's going to help you with legacy. Because one day, when there's nothing left but a story, what will be your story? Think about that. One day when there's nothing left but a story, what will be the story that people tell about you? And when you think about that and you start thinking about the story and the narrative of your life, no matter what's happened in the past, remember, you, we don't have DeLoreans, we can't go 88 miles per hour, we can't change them. But from this day forward, what story do I want to tell? Because that's going to help you with integrity that will lead to legacy. And there are people in life who have made really dumb decisions and their stories have been tainted, and they're sad. They're not funny stories like the Indians and Dwight and those things. They are sad stories that we all shake our heads or we put our heads down, and make, the preacher does have to lie about those people and make up things. I mean, think about life. If I mention the word O.J. Simpson, super talented, right? One of the best running backs ever in NFL history. But we know him for the murders and whatever happened there, right? And then we know him for stealing things and the Bronco. And, and his story was one that was blemished because of a lack of integrity that affected his legacy. If I mention the name Richard Nixon, some of you, I'm going way, way back there, and you're like, who's, who's that? He was a president. And what you can think of is what? Watergate. That's immediately what you think of. If I mention the name Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, John Gruden. Like, I could just go through names, and immediately there's a narrative that comes up. And what happened in every one of their lives is they came to a situation where they had some decisions to make. They had the chance to cheat. They had the chance to lie. They had a chance to steal. They had a chance to do everything wrong in that decision. And their, their lack of integrity affected their legacy. And what this question does is, is it helps us have integrity. Now, what is integrity? It's this. Integrity is doing the right thing at the right time, no matter what the situation is. It's in that moment, like the Joseph's brothers were faced with this moment. They were faced with what is the right thing to do, and they didn't do it. Their integrity they, they lacked integrity that we're going to see affected their legacy. We're telling a story about them that's not a good story. And with you and I, we're going to have in 2022, and you may have had already, temptations. You're going to have these temptations in micro ways to do something where you're cutting corners, you know this is wrong, you know that's wrong, and that integrity question, if you don't pause to ask about the story, then you'll be tempted to make those decisions in life. And I want to help you with that because my biggest fear for you is you're going to have a story not worth telling. And it's all said and done. Remember, when there's nothing left but a story, what's going to be the story? My fear for you and my fear for me 
This, this material here changed my life last year when I was challenged with these questions. Is you're going to have a story not worth telling? And, and here's what happens with a story not worth telling is this, and you can write this down. It's one of the reasons we write a story not worth telling is because decisions are now and the story is later. And that's what happens with all of these guys. That's what happens with every story not worth telling. Decisions are right now, and the story happens later. And we're, we're geared as individuals to focus on what's right before us, right? Like what feels good, what we want to do right now. We don't have long-term staying power. We don't think about the future very much. And we get emotional fog with things. That's why when you get into one of those brand new cars, right, and the guy's trying to sell you the car, he shows you all the features, and you become in love with it. Let me ask you a question. In all your bad decisions, weren't you way too emotionally attached too early on? I mean, let's just, let's just think about it this way. Almost everyone's had a bad relationship decision, all right? Let's just try. We all have. Don't, don't hang your head. Don't wag your head. All of us have. Here's the problem, and this happens with teenagers, and teenagers, please listen to us. You get way too emotionally attached to someone who's not good for you. And because the decision is now and the story is later, you don't think about that. Matter of fact, teenagers, again, they can't think long term. They don't have the frontal cortex developed yet. And parents are trying to tell you. There are people trying to tell you, but you're so emotionally attached to it. And we have to learn, if we're going to have a story worth telling, decisions are now, the story is later. Get some emotional distance from that thing. Anytime you're really emotionally excited about something, that's a red flag. And Chip and Dan Heath wrote this book called Decisive, and they help people make great decisions, especially in the business world, and they're followers of Jesus themselves. But one of the things that they tell people when you're making great decisions is attain emotional distance. Never make a decision when you're on the mountaintop and it feels great. Oh, he's so awesome. And never make decisions when in the valley. Because decisions are now and the story is later. And you've got to attain emotional distance. And you've got to begin to look at the future story that will be told about you. Matter of fact, in Proverbs 22, uh, verse 3, it says this. It says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton, this is the nice version. The fool is what the other versions say goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. If you believe that planning and thinking about outcomes and what's going to happen is not spiritual, then you're not spiritual. Because Scripture says that a prudent person, a wise person, thinks about the story that's going to be told. They think about the outcomes that are going to happen. It says that the fool just says, hey, it feels good. I want to do it. This is a decision I'm making in the now. They never think about the future. And I want to help you with that because it changed my life when I had a ministry coach who did this for me. He sat down with us and we went through our past and our history. We did storyboard and we did like sticky notes and all that stuff. We talked about our past. And then he got us to a place where we narrowed everything down to one sentence. And I didn't know this then, but here's what he, one sentence about ministry that can sum up the story that you want told about you. And every one of us in that group had to do that according to how God had used us, how God was using us, and how we desired to be used. And so what, we, what he told us was, he says, you're going to be tempted with immediate outcomes in life. Tempted. Marriage is going bad. 
and that person in the office, you're texting them, they're, you know, you're telling them you're going through something, all of a sudden they come to your side and you're tempted with an affair, right? Life, immediate outcomes, feels good. He says, but you've got to think in terms of ultimate outcomes. What do you want at the end of the day? What I want most over what I want now. And so here's what he did for me. And here's what I wrote down. I said, I want to be able to resource and help the big C church. That means the, the church, the kingdom of God, right? Every, every church and any church. I want, to, I want to be able to resource and help them while pastoring and being connected to the local church. It's very important because that means I don't want a job where I just go around and work for the big C church. I'm traveling. I, I, love the, I love you guys. I love church. I love the staff. I love the, I love the blessings. I love the challenges. I want to do this. And so now every decision that I have and every opportunity that I have is filtered through that, right? I, that, that's the story that I want to have. I want people to say he helped and resourced the Big C Church while faithfully serving and pastoring the local church, right? That's the story I want told. Well, it doesn't even stop there. When it came down, I thought about this for Thrive. And I've told you this before, but I know that we have the spiritual gift of amnesia as believers and we forget. <laughs> right? That's not a gift that Paul actually put in the Bible. But, you know, we have, we, have, we have amnesia. Is that what do we want the story of Thrive to be when there's nothing left but a story? One day, when somebody talks about Thrive Church, we want them to be able to say, our church could not have done it without Thrive Church. We want the church of Richmond to say, we want the church of RV, all the churches, the church plants to say, man, those guys sacrificed so we could be better. It wasn't, man, they had, man, they put millions into their lighting, man. They put millions into their, that, man, they had a great Christmas program. That's cool. Some churches, that's what their story will be. And you're telling the story of some churches from years ago, man, that TV program they had was great. <laughs> I'm, seriously, that, that Christmas program was amazing. But what has helped me do is understand there are immediate things that I want right now. There's things I want to see, but it keeps me from making bad decisions now because the story is going to be later. And I want you to do the same thing that that ministry coach did for me. He had me write that out, and here's why he did that. He had me rehearse it, and it's super important. I want you to write this down today. Here's an action step. If you're going to do this, rehearse the story that would be told about you. Rehearse it. I mean, think about the story that would be told about you. Oh, a great person, but they were never on time. <laughs> Some of y'all chuckling. <laughs> and they were awesome. They were just super inconsistent. Man, they were, they, were, they were a funny individual, man, but you couldn't trust them. They told great jokes, but man, they, man, they just angry all the time. Walked out on, on, you know, everything, always blew up, always did. I mean, think about what people are going to say about you. Yeah, she was cool, but man, always offended. People are going to remember these things. And so every time you have these decisions come up, you rehearse what you want your story to be. Some of you need to write down, and, and I have this for every area of my life, I don't have time to go through it, for my marriage, what I want the story to be when there's nothing left but a story. When people talk about me and my when people talk about me and my son, when people talk about the, the church, I want a story to be told. And that keeps me between the ditches, making the right decisions. But you've got to rehearse the story. What story do you want to be told? You've got to rehearse it. And this is what Joseph did. 
for Joseph to stay between the ditches, this is what he did. Now remember, we left him. He is shackled, hand and foot, going to Egypt. He does not know their language. He does not know their customs. And he is a slave now to Ishmaelite traders. And through a lot of a series of events, maybe you know this story, Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house, and he is now a government employee. He's working for Potiphar, and he's got great benefits. He's doing well. The boy went from a slave to, like, making it and doing well, like growing and learning and doing all this. And Potiphar trusted him. And he comes to a place where there's a temptation that happens as a young man. And I want you to look at the temptation and what Joseph does in the middle of that temptation. And this is what you and I have to do. As I'm telling you, some of you may think, well, man, this ain't feeding me. This ain't no good. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to be faced with a decision this year. Mark my word. Come back and watch this on the night. You're going to be faced with a decision this year. And if you don't rehearse your story, you're going to make a really bad decision. And here's what Joseph did when he was tempted in Genesis 39, verse 6. You can look at your Bibles there, 39, verse 6. He says, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. That's pretty great power going from a slave to that. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Man, I wish I had that problem. Amen. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, and watch this. My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from—he's rehearsing this to her— he didn't say no, but look what he's doing. He has held nothing from me except you because you were his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Some of us in those moments need to pause and say, oh, no, no, no. Life's good. No, no, no. I, I, I can't make this decision. I can't, this is stupid. No, 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 I can't go this route. I can't steal that money. I can't cut that corner. I can't start texting that, that person. I can't do it this way. He rehearsed it. And it says she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. That was a smart boy. One day, however, no one was around when he went to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, by his coat there, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his coat in her hand as he ran from the house. That poor boy could never keep his coat, right? His brother stole it from him in 37. Now she's uh, taking his coat from him. But what he does is he leaves, and then she frames him and says, he raped me. Joseph raped me. And then Potiphar throws him in prison again, and he's forgotten in prison. But Joseph had integrity. What is integrity? You do the right thing at the right time, no matter the situation. No matter what, he had integrity. And Scripture tells us that the Lord will stick with you if you have integrity, no matter what happens to you. And she does that to him, and he's thrown in jail again. Now, you know a little later what happens in the story. But Joseph rehearsed that story to keep him in between the ditches. He could have, he could have told another narrative. He could have, well, he could have said, I deserve this. Oh, Potiphar won't mind. You know, I work really hard. Their marriage isn't going so well. 
It's not my fault. See, you're, gonna, you're going to tell one of two stories when you're faced with those dangerous temptations in life. And you and I have to rehearse the story. So here's what happens. I want you to write this down because this is important. Our daily decisions are writing our future story. Our daily decisions. And this is in the moment, those micro decisions every day that we write. I tell people all the time that, that, listen, you don't decide your future. Your decisions decide your future. Your habits decide your future. And every day we're writing that story. Friends, I know there are parts of your story that you don't like about the past. Forget those. Every time I preach about something like this, somebody brings up their past. Well, you know, I can't. That doesn't matter. Your daily decisions are writing your future story. And finally this morning, I want you to write this down. Here is what we have to do. Decide the final story others will tell about you. Decide the final story others will tell about you. By daily decisions. When it came down to it, there are two narratives here. There are two stories being told. There's the story that we tell and we shook our heads at and we, our hearts sank because we realized his brothers betrayed him. They made a bad decision in the moment because they were resentful. They were angry. They made a terrible decision. There's another story being told, too, of Joseph, who at every time was done wrong by people that he was living with integrity with. He did nothing to his brothers, thrown into to slavery. He did nothing to Potiphar's wife. He was thrown into a cistern. I mean, I mean excuse me, that was the first time. He was thrown into a, to a, a jail for two years, forgotten about. And these two stories collide. He's in the jail. He's forgotten about. The guy he helps out, he interprets his dream, forgets about him. He says, hey, just remember me when you get, you know, I, I, you know, when you're good. And then finally, the Lord allows him to stand before Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh had this dream about cows and all this stuff. And Joseph says, hey, here's what's going to happen. Egypt's going to go through a great famine in seven years. So these next seven years, store up everything you got because it's going to get bad. And sure enough, that's what happened. And so Pharaoh said, I want this guy on my team. Like this guy, yeah, okay, second in charge of everything. And what happens is, seven years later, things just go downhill economically. Everybody's needing food and grain. And Joseph's standing there in his Egyptian garb. You know, they have the eyeliner, the Pharaoh hat, you know, all that stuff you've seen. He's standing there. As he's looking, caravan of men come. As he sees them come, he says, I, I recognize them. As they come up, he recognizes them as being his brothers. Now, Hollywood would write this, whereas Joseph would torture them to death and make them pay for everything they did to him. He would slaughter them and make them pay because of the anger and the resentment and the hurt they put him through. That was not the life he wanted to live. But just as the dream told, they came and they all bowed down to him, but they didn't recognize him. So they go back and forth and Joseph hides his identity from them and then finally he wants them to bring the dad there. He wants to see his dad again. And, and the story that is told about Joseph is not one of resentment and anger and offense and making bad decisions. The story, when these two stories collide, 
Joseph decides the final story, and here's what he does. He decides the story of forgiveness. He forgives them. He blesses them, and he gives them everything that they need. And he says, man, let me just tell you, you may have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And when you read the story of Joseph and his brothers, at every part, he is pausing to think about that story that will be told. And think about that. For for centuries, for generations, we are telling this story of Joseph and his brothers. And you and I are going to have the chance we leave here to have a story just like the brothers or just like Joseph. And when you're tempted, you've got to decide what I want the final story to be. You know, John Maxwell, who's a leadership expert and nationally and internationally and has impacted my life greatly, pastored a church before he ever got into leadership. And he tells a story that we took over this church. The people told him, they said, you got to watch out for Johnny. This guy here, is, he's, he's bad news. He's on the deacon board, and every church, every pastor that, that comes to this church, Johnny fights him, wants to strike down every vote, and the, he ends up getting, getting the pastor fired, or he'll resign. He's just so mean to him. He said, man, you just watch out for him. He's going to make your life miserable. And when John got there, John Maxwell got there, oh, Mr. Johnny, sure enough, every decision, ah, rah, 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 rah. And so John made a decision. He took Johnny out to lunch one day. He sat down with him. Johnny was 75 years old. He said, Johnny, I want to tell you that the church has told me that every pastor that comes here, that you make their life miserable and you fight them over and over. You're angry and you're bitter. He says, I don't know what happened to your past, and I'm really sorry. He says, but I do know this. He says, you've got about 10 to 15 good years left. We don't all live forever. He said, the story that's being told about you right now is that you're an angry, bitter man who works against every pastor and has halted the progress of this church. That's what they all tell me. He says, but you've got to decide your story we can leave this, this meeting, this lunch here, and the story that I can tell about you one day at your funeral was that he was my best friend, and we worked together, and we saw the greatest years of this church. He said, but you've got to decide what your story is going to be. He said, old Johnny got mad and slapped the table and walked out, left him with the bill, <laughs> angry. Oh, and Pastor Maxwell said, man, this is going to be tough. That Sunday... Johnny comes up there, his face is red. He walks up to John and grabs him and hugs him and starts crying. And he says, Pastor, I'll take you up on that. I don't want my story to be that. I want it to be a different story. And he helped him build that church and be his best friend through his latter years. See, listen, guys, we all have that decision to make. What will be your story when there's nothing left but a story? And here's the declaration that you and I have to make. I will decide a story that I'm proud to tell. I will decide a story that I'm proud to tell. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I just pray for every person in here. Because we will have these decisions to come up, these temptations. And Father, I just ask that you would help us to decide a story worth telling. Lord, I just pray for every person in here when, when, they're, when they're tempted, Lord God, by the things of this world, please, Father, remind them 
that they're writing a story. When they want to make emotional, rash decisions, remind them, Father, remind me that we're writing a story that others will tell. God, I ask that you would give us courage and you give us strength in the moment, in the here and now, to make decisions that will have a story that will honor you. And that one day, people can say that we honored you and we lived for you and we loved you through everything we faced. We love you in this place, Jesus. And we ask for that help this morning. And if you're in here today or maybe you're even watching online that you want your story to be that you live for Jesus and you serve Jesus and you, you gave your life to him, maybe today is the time to change your story. As Pastor Keith talked about at baptism, his story was changed by giving his life to Jesus. That might be you today right where you're sitting. It's your day to give your life fully to Jesus, to surrender to him. You can do this by praying this prayer after me, by making this confession of faith. It's saying, God, today I want my story to change. I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose again on the third day. And I make him my Lord. I repent. I turn away from that old life. I'm leaving the old story. And I receive new life. I receive full forgiveness of sins. And I accept your forgiveness. Thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit. God, help me write a story worth telling. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you will, guys, let's celebrate everybody who made that decision today. Amen. And if you will, man, I want you guys to stand to your feet. I want you to, to take some time to let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Take some time to whatever the Lord was speaking to you during this message. You just felt it, man. Take some time to let that sink in and ask God to do in you what sometimes you know you can't do on your own. Let's worship him.